Hey there. We're here to put you on the path to a multi-million dollar real estate portfolio. I'm Palak. And this is Nidhi. Thanks for joining us. Great to have you here. Palak and, and me, we're both, uh, you know, we both, we were both in corporate for a long, long time, right? We were in corporate. We took the traditional route of getting a degree, uh, you know, climbing the corporate ladder for many, many years. And we did that for almost 15 years. Um, and then we had kids, uh, you know, we had kids, uh, we had a two-year-old and a two-month-old at the time. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, we realized that all the work that we put in for so many years, um, with with the hope that we'd have time to spend with our family and enjoy and create wealth, it wasn't really the case, right? And we we hadn't, while we had good incomes, we hadn't really built any wealth um, other than our 401k, which always goes up and down, and we didn't really know what to do with it. Um, and, uh, you know, we really didn't get to spend too much time with our kids. They were two years and two months at the time. And Pala couldn't get time off work. I couldn't get time off work. And we like, we, we worked all these years <clears throat> and we almost felt that, you know, there was somewhat of a deception. We were deceived a little bit, right? Yeah. By what society tells you to do to get to financial freedom. And we didn't feel like we were anywhere close to financial freedom, despite doing all the things, you know, correctly, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and the corporate cu culture in general is just so toxic. They, it kind of forces you to think a certain way, which really doesn't lead to like a good, well-balanced, fulfilling life, right? Yeah. And, and you know, we we uh, realized that as soon as we had kids. And so we started investing in real estate. I mean, one, we both loved real estate. So we yeah. thought, why not? And we realized pretty quickly that that was a great way to not only create passive income, but create wealth. Um, because the biggest lesson, if anything, that we have learned as we have built our, uh, you know, $10 million rental portfolio in the last, you know, few years is that uh, the way to create wealth and the way to build passive income is through assets, yes. uh, not just buying and selling assets, but buying and holding assets. Uh, and, you know, that really is is the key. Okay. And, you know, we, we did... We did a lot of that, and we, we're going to talk about the strategy that we used, uh, you know, to to do that, which is, which supercharges a way, you know, su supercharges in a way, uh, the, you know, helping you buy assets a lot faster than you normally would, yeah. right? So, uh, we're going to talk about that too. But we did that, and um, you know, we we both retired from our nine to five jobs, and we been focusing on real estate full time now. Pollock's been doing full time full time real estate for what six years now. Six. Six, six, years. Years. six years and then i've been doing full-time real estate for about three years now so yeah. um you know it's been it's been a great it's been a great learning experience yeah. and we want to share as much as we can with with Absolutely. folks yeah so and we're um based right outside pennsylvania right now we're location independent because thanks thanks to real estate we spent a month this summer in portugal almost with our kids last year we spent month in spain we we love working like it's it's not that we don't work no one wants financial freedom because they're lazy people want financial freedom because they want to do things that are meaningful so we're working but we have a lot of uh freedom to be where we need to be aviv where are you based before you ask us the first question uh, yeah hey you guys thanks for being here today and for taking the time um 
I work with you guys remotely, as you know, probably. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Yes. All the way on the other side of the pond, I guess, in uh, yeah. Berlin, capital of Germany over in Europe. And we've been together for a year and a half now, I guess. Amazing. Yeah. How's the weather where you are? Uh, getting chilly. Not <laughs> yeah. too cold, but getting colder by the day, I guess. Yeah. 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 All right. Cool. What's what's the first question? Let's do it. Yeah. So after speaking with a lot of people every single day, um, some people come to us super fresh, having no rentals at all. Some people have one or two. They kind of bought traditionally. Maybe it was their first primary residence. They upgrade and now they have that as a rental. Or maybe they have three or four. They just don't know, don't really know how to scale. Uh, so a couple of questions really come up uh, quite often. I think the biggest one really is um, people ask all the time, what's the right strategy for me? What should yeah. I choose? I'm overwhelmed. There's like so many different things out there. And I guess a byproduct is, hey, does Burr actually still work? So that's yeah. kind of the main thing. Great. So I'll start uh, with the strategy piece because this is actually, this is my favorite question, by the way. How should I decide my strategy? What should I do in real estate? And the if, if you're like me, like I, I was an engineer, I'm all about collecting data and information and I want to learn more and more and more and more. But I read somewhere that if information was truly power, then librarians would be millionaires, right? Is that the right yeah. word? And the the problem is we are... With it, the internet is amazing. These days we live in this world where we have access to so much information, which is incredible. There are podcasts and books and, you know, you can Google anything you want. But the problem is massive amounts of information actually leads to analysis paralysis. And it's really hard then to find your strategy. And so this is where all this amount of information actually works against us, especially for people like us, like me, who like to collect a lot of information and collect a lot of data. And we think that the more we, uh, more we collect or more we consume, we think the more, the better informed decision we're gonna make. And that's not true. A lot of it is clutter. So number one is you really have to understand that defining your strategy doesn't have to do with consuming massive amounts of information. It's all related to con consuming the right kind of information. And that's number one. And that was like the biggest shift that I had to make when, when we first got started. Um, there are multiple ways of doing real estate. The biggest way to find your strategy is to know your end goal. And you know, talk a little bit about um, your vision and how you define where you want to be. Yeah. You know, I, I'll talk about how we figured out what our strategy was. And hopefully this kind of helps, you know, you navigate to that question of what is the right strategy for you. So when we first started investing in real estate and, you know, we had, uh, you know, a couple of mentors and one of the biggest piece of advice that we got from our mentor was <clears throat> you don't get you don't acquire wealth in real estate by peddling real estate. In other words, you don't make wealth in real estate by being transactional with real estate, buying and selling real estate. You get wealthy in real estate by buying and holding onto real estate for a long, long period of time, right? And that was a big 
is a very important piece of information for us to understand at the time. And then when he said, okay, we know that now that we want to buy and hold real estate. We don't want to flip houses and we, we don't want to do like anything. We want to buy and hold assets. Um, and then we started to Pollock's point, we started our, with our end goal in mind. And our end goal was we wanted to be able to make work optional in, you know, in three to five years. That was our goal. We didn't want to wait until uh, 60, 65 years old, until we were 60 or 65 years old to be able to retire. We wanted to retire while we were still young. That was the goal. And we said, okay, uh, we want to retire early. Uh, we want to, and I, the way to do that is by buying and holding on to assets. But then, so we said, okay, so buy and hold is the right strategy for us. So that was step one to kind of say, okay, we said we, we want to buy and hold properties. And we said, okay, um, you know, say we buy a single family home. And that's what we did the first couple of times. We bought a single family home that was rent ready right? We put it, put down 25% on payment. <clears throat> we bought uh, a house. We rented it out the next day, right? And we were cash flowing on that property. And we quickly realized, oh, this is great. It's, it's, this property is going to appreciate over time. The debt is going to get paid down and we're going to get cash flow every month. So we were like, okay, this is fantastic. But there was still something, uh, you know, missing, which was that every time we bought a property, we had to bring 25% down for the down payment plus 5% closing costs. So if the property that we were buying was say $200,000 um, rent ready property, then we would have to bring, you know, 60, $65,000, sometimes $70,000 out of our pocket as cash down payment for the property. And we said, maybe we can do this once a year, but how do we like, you know, that'll take, if we bought one property a year, that would take us maybe, you know, 20 or 25 years, 30 years, maybe to retire. And, and, and I wanted to quit my job now. Yes. I was like, we, we had a second baby. We had a two-year-old and a newborn. And I was, every day I was telling him, I'm like, listen, I need to quit this job because it's getting really stressful with two kids. And I mean, one of us really had to take a backseat from that corporate lifestyle for that to work. And I wanted it to be me because, you know, I had a baby and, I wanted to be be with the the kids, and it it was a tough uh, choice to make because on one hand, if we wanted to continue building this portfolio, we needed that chunk of cash consistently coming in, that additional income, so we could save up and buy these rent ready rentals. But at the same time, it would take forever. Like it would take in five years. Maybe we have five rentals. That's not enough to. Um, that wasn't enough to cover my salary at the time. That's right. And and so, you know, we said, okay, we wanted to, we wanted to do this strategy. We wanted to buy assets a lot faster. <clears throat> and that's when we stumbled upon the Burr strategy, right? And for those of you who may not have heard about the Burr strategy, what it is, is, you know, you buy, instead of buying a rent-ready property, you buy a distressed property that needs a lot of work. Nobody's probably living in that property. It's completely distressed. <clears throat> and for that reason, you can buy it for cents in the dollar because it's distressed. You buy it, you rehab it, and you make it really nice, you know, new kitchen, new bath, flooring, make it really nice, uh, and you force the appreciation in a short period of time. So instead of waiting for five years for the property to appreciate, appreciate in, appreciates in three to six months because you're forcing the, the rehab, uh, forcing the appreciation through rehab. 
And then once it's rehabbed, you rent it out just like you would with a regular rent-ready rental. And then you refinance and pull your cash out. So the idea is that, um, so if you if you look at numbers real quick, to give, you, to give you an example, sometimes it's easier to understand if I use numbers. So instead of buying a, a rent-ready rental for $200,000 with a 25% down payment, I would buy a house that's right next to it that needs a lot of work, but because it needs a lot of work, I can buy it for $80,000. I'll put in $50,000 worth of rehab in it and then maybe some soft costs of another, say, $15,000, $20,000. Now I'm all in close to $150,000 in terms of the money that I put into it, but the property now appreciates and it has an after repair value of $200,000, just like the property next door. And so now I can go to a bank and say, give me a loan of 75% against this property and they'll give me $150,000 back. So now all the money that I put into the property, I have it back in three to six months right. as opposed to a few years, right? And then any cash flow that I get from day one is just additional profit. So it's almost infinite returns if you think yeah. about it. Yeah, uh, and so that's awesome. when we thought, you know, Burr strategy is right for us um, and we kind of start focusing. And then one more piece I'll just mention, I won't go too deep, deep into it because maybe we can cover in a separate topic, but... Um, you know, it's it's not just about, as, as Balak mentioned, you know, working backwards from where you want to be. So not only did we want to retire early, we also didn't want to spend all our time at a job site. We don't want to be eight, 10 hours, you know, at a job site. And so the way you execute the Burr strategy is what we did differently for most people as well. So we didn't, uh, you know, and this this becomes very important if you're investing out of state. And we, we you know, really encourage people to invest out of state because it's such a great way. You can go where the best returns are. Um, <clears throat> if you build a team and if you do it right, you can do it remotely. Um, and so that's what another thing that we loved about the Burr strategy and the way we executed it was, you know, was different. Yeah, so that is the strategy, right? Yeah. And that is how we accelerate it. Yeah, and so hopefully, if you know, as you're thinking through where what strategy is right for you, think about where you want to be five or ten years from now. Figure out, be very specific. And by the way, can I just add something, Aviv? I know I'm going a little bit off topic here, but I think sure. it's important. Uh, you know, we're getting into the holidays, right? And this is such a great time to start planning what you're going to do in 2024. Yeah, 2023 is gone right? It's, it's in, it's in the rear view mirror. Now it's, you have the time in the next month, month and a half to really plan and commit to a strategy that you're going to implement in 2024. And so use this time, uh, you know, in the holidays, and we love like meeting our families during this time, spending time with them. Um, but what we also make sure we do is, <clears throat> you know, we plan, we do a planning session where we sit down together Right. Yeah. And we also do it in our community. And right? we also do it with our community. Yeah. And, you know, Palak and I will sit down together and we say, OK, Palak, you're fired from 2023. <laughs> Who do you want to be? What do you want Palak 2024 to be like? Yeah. And this and just gives you permission to reinvent yourself. That's what it's meant to be. Right. We'll say uh, and this this is uh, uh, something we've been doing for a few years that it's really fun. Actually, we'll you know, we'll officially we'll be like, Nidhi, you're fired from your who you are in 2023, you have the permission to completely reinvent yourself now for 2024. And as adults, I mean, as children, we're constantly evolving, right? We're constantly discovering new things about ourselves. But as adults, just sometimes we need somebody to tell us that, right? Give us that permission. Listen, you can be whoever you want to be now. And it's 
amazing. And we do this also within our community. And we ask, we, we, we have a much more involved um, uh, planning session that we do. And then we ask people to take a picture and post it. And sometimes, you know how, when you post it, Facebook reminds you next year. And it's amazing to see how much progress people have made year after year, because they can see that image of what they thought last right. year, right? And so track mm -hmm. this. It, it feels so good when you realize that you, when you put it down and you realize how far you can come in one year, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. So try this. Yeah. So, you know, so uh, <laughs> back to we, but, you know, use this time in the next, next month, use this time to really plan out your vision, commit to a strategy that's right for you so you can hit the ground running starting 2024. If you are a professional trying to figure out how to build generational wealth by either building or scaling your rental portfolio, Borcon 2023 is your place to be. It's coming to Philadelphia on December 8th, and we cannot wait to see you there. And whether you're a new investor or if you have a few deals under your belt, Burkon is the ultimate place for buy and hold investors. Last year, we had hundreds of real estate investors who connected with each other, learned new strategies and tactics, and figured out how they were gonna leverage the upcoming market changes to grow their portfolio. And this year, we're gonna do that in person. So whether you're looking for strategies and tactics to scale your business, an amazing lineup of speakers and panelists, or even network with other real estate investors, come to Burke on 2023. Again, it's on December 8th in Center City, Philadelphia. Prepare for a transformative experience that's going to change the way you think about building wealth and set a new trajectory for your business and for your personal life. Join us. Pretty cool. Yeah, it also really leads us to the next question. Lots of people ask Niti, hey, is this the right time? And another thing they uh, kind of attach to that is because the interest rates are relatively higher these days, they keep on asking, hey, is this actually the right time to invest? What do we do in these interest rates? Uh, does it still work today? So that's a really burning question. Lots of people ha uh, have these days really as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and this is, uh, I want to, I want to also kind of start by saying that this is a question uh, of like, is this the right time to invest? And I think this, uh, it, it's it's another way of asking the same question that you did a wee bit. Is the right time to invest? And we've been hearing this question since we started investing. Oh my goodness, yeah. Back in 2014, 2015. Yeah. Um, and people were like, wait, you know, it's been seven, eight years since the market crash. Like, is it a good time to invest? Um, and what I tell people is, as an investor, the right question to ask is not, should I be investing right now? But the right question is, how should I be investing right now? When we started investing back in 2014, 2015, uh, it was very hard to find lenders, right? We, When we first started, uh, there were not these many lenders that we see now. So we, for our commercial mortgages that we got long-term mortgages, we paid 7.5% interest rate back in 2014, 2015, because there, it was hard to find commercial financing back then. And so for us, high interest rates are not really, you know, that, you know, um, unheard of because even we saw that in commercial financing 2014, 2015. So, so that's one. Um, but every market cycle has its challenges. So 2014, 2015, the biggest thing was finding funding was a very, very big challenge, right? It was easier to find deals. It was easy, okay to find contractors, but financing was very difficult. Fast forward to, uh, you know, the pandemic, when the pandemic hit right? It was 
uh, as we all know, uh, supply chain got disrupted, material prices went up a lot, um, and you know it, everything was more expensive, rehab was more expensive. But then, because the interest rates were so low, uh, you could you could manage that, and you can buy properties and and, and all that. And financing was very easy to find in 20, uh, 2020, 2021. Uh, but it was very difficult to manage rehab. But again. As an investor, you're always figuring out that one challenge that you need to overcome in every market. Every market cycle has its challenges, right? And then uh, fast forward now, you know, and now uh, the material prices have somewhat cooled a little bit because of the supply chain tensions that have eased. Um, but the interest rates are high. Uh, but again, the rents have gone up so much, right? The rents have increased so much, so you're still going to cash flow on properties. Now, when when you're doing your analysis for your deal, you're taking into account the fact that the interest rate is high. So as long as you're taking that into account, if a deal still works, it still works, right? In our community, people are closing on properties every week, multiple properties a week. And so, and this is all over the US, right? And so it's not about what should I, should, is it okay to, I mean, should I be investing right now because interest rates are high? No, of course you should be investing. But the question is how, how should you deal with it, right? And what you need to be doing in your market uh, to, to overcome that. And closely tied to that question is a question in the chat about uh, what about, what if the, you know, real estate market crashes, right? What's your opinion on the overall real estate market? And it's a great question, Randeer. And, uh, you know, the way you want to think about this is this is why we do buy and hold long-term investing. If you are flipping houses, like a million, if you're flipping houses for like a million dollars, is this the right time to do it? Maybe not. Not as a newbie. Not as a newbie. Yeah. Like if you're like a seasoned investor, sure, you could flip million dollar homes because you <laughs> know a little bit more about what you're doing. But um, when it comes to buying the whole real estate, it's a lot more forgiving in that sense. I'll give you a quick example. <clears throat> and I'm sorry, I don't mean to hijack the conversation, but I'll, I'll, I'm kind of going off. But I want to make sure I answer this yeah. question. So... Uh, you know, one thing that uh, that we we realize the power of buy and hold investing, regardless of market cycle. So, Palat bought a condo in <clears throat> Chicago in 20, 2007. <clears throat> this was six months before the market crash. She bought it for $125,000, two bed, one bath condo. Right after the crash, in six months, the value of the property went from $125,000 to $85,000, right? So, it was a $40,000 dip in a matter of matter of months. It was crazy. We had we had just started dating, I think, or we had moved in together. I don't remember. But every day I was like, should I sell this property? And uh, <clears throat> he kept telling me, no, just keep it. Just keep it. And I was like, what are you talking about? This is like the only thing I own. And it's dip, 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 dip. You know, you don't have a lot of money when you're so young. Yeah. And but the good thing that the property was, it was rented. Yeah. Right. And that's why I always say buy cash flowing assets. And because it was rented out and we were making, you know, $250, $300 each month, we kept that property, yeah. right? And then we kept that property for 12 years. Yeah. And in the 12 years, we sold it, I think, last year. Uh, and we made, uh, in the 12 years, we made about $30,000 just in cash flow. We made another $30,000 in debt pay down because remember, the debt was getting paid down all this time. And we made another 35 something thousand in uh, appreciation because now the property was worth 150, yeah. right? 155. And so in 
because the property was cash flowing, we were able to make $100,000 in profit on the property despite buying it at the worst time in history of real estate. And it was also not the best asset to buy, right? It was a condo with high HOA fees because I originally bought it to live in it. And I mean, there are a lot of yeah. that we teach on, you know, what kind of asset is the best asset to buy as a buy and hold rental. That was not one of them. But even then, despite making all those mistakes and despite the timing issue, we still made money on that. So that's why real estate is a long-term game. So as long as you're buying cash-flowing assets, uh, you know, that it's it's a long-term game. Add one more thing, Aviv. Um, if you haven't read the book, The Psychology of Money, Go and get a copy. That is the best book I've ever read. If you're ever afraid of the market crashing and that's why you're not investing, read that book. He talks, he goes in so much detail. And I also did a video um, in YouTube. If you search for this video, you'll find it somewhere. Um, I talked about, you know, what, um, and if you want the link, just um, post it in the group and we'll post the link under it. But he talks about how Warren Buffett, he compares Warren Buffett and someone else who started around the same time as him. When the market shifted, Warren Buffett kept all of his assets. You know, he's been through so many cycles, right? Like this may be your first crash that you're afraid of. We went through one crash. He's been through multiple. He kept all his assets throughout. The other party did it. And he sold everything because he got scared about the market and all that. Their trajectories were completely different. What's going to determine which one of us ends up wealthy at the end? And the rich people are teaching this to their kids. We had to learn it ourselves. What's going to determine our wealth trajectory isn't whether we buy assets at the right time or not. It's what's going to determine our wealth trajectory and what we leave behind for the next generation is how well we're able to hold on to our assets through market yes. changes. That's what determines your, and your cash flow is going to help you sustain that, right? That's what it's for. So this whole thing about, hey, is this the right time to invest? That is a way we think because we don't come from wealthy families. The wealthy people do not think like that. They talk about building assets throughout different cycles. So don't worry about um, about that. Get that book. It's it's a great book. Yes. And let me know if you want the links to the uh, video as well. Yeah, right. I, I was just gonna say that same exact thing, Tyler. <laughs> but uh, it's it's something you actually taught me, Niti. You said something really smart that I really like. Uh, a couple months back, and you mentioned, hey, it's not about um, timing. So it's not about your entry point to the market, but it's really all about your time in. So just in that word timing to time in. So basically summarizes the whole thing, really. Cool. So um, since we're all about delegating the work out, not creating another job for ourselves and building the whole thing like a business, really, um, it leads to another concern that a lot of people have. You know, how can I do this out of state? My area that I live in, it's, it's so expensive here. You don't even know. How can I trust contractors? They're hard to find, property managers. How can I find great tenants? Um, so what what's your take on that, really? 
Yeah. Just highlighted a comment from Trissa Summers too. She's asking the same question of Eve. Thank you for bringing that up. She's saying, I'm in Phoenix area where it is the it is cost prohibitive right now to begin the bar method. Who are the key members of your team if I want to begin out of state and how did you find them? We can go through the key members, but one thing I'll tell you that I tell everyone who wants to start out of state investing, you need at least one unbiased party on your team. Someone who doesn't benefit from how much renovation you do, whether you buy the property or that particular property or a different property, you need somebody like that on your team. And does it feel daunting at first? Sure. But once you figure it out, it's like riding a bicycle, right? And that's, you're building a whole business from scratch. So don't worry if it feels like, hey, I have to build this foundation. It's going to take a few steps. It's going to take effort. It's an amazing, lucrative business. There is nothing wrong in learning all of these steps, building that foundation, taking the time, and then making it plug and play. Absolutely. And, you know, this question of my the market that I live in is expensive. Absolutely invest out of state. Yes. Absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, invest out of state. <clears throat> and that way, you can go to markets where it's lucrative, where the numbers make sense. Don't try to force numbers in a market where it doesn't work. That's that's not a great way to invest because even if you find one deal, it'll be hard for you to scale in that market because the numbers just don't work. So uh, one of the big things we talk about in our community is like go out of state and figure out, right? Like how do you figure out which market to invest in? There's a few things that we look for. Quick, uh, go over real quick. Uh, is the population going up, right? Or, or going down in that market? You want the population population to be increasing. Number two, um, is there enough diversity of employers in that market, right? If if you're investing in just a, a town where there's only one a university, that may not be the best place because what happens if the university shuts down like it happened in COVID, right? So you want to invest in a city where there's a lot of um, employers, different industries from healthcare to, you know, um, universities to corporate employers and all these different, so if there's diversity of employers, that's always a good thing. Um, and if you you want to look at these, you know, a couple of these factors. Um, and then figuring out a specific neighborhood where the numbers work for Burr, right? You want to make sure the numbers work, that there's distressed properties that you can buy. So again, figuring out which market to invest in is a key, key step. Um, and there's so many options, you know, if you're investing on a state. You just got to figure out which one is the right one for you. And then <clears throat> build a team. To your question, Trissa, of like how do you build a team? Uh, you know, your key members of your team are going to be a realtor, a lender who does both, you know, hard money and short-term lending and long-term lending. Um, you want a property management company. You want a contractor who's a very, very important part of your team. They're going to help you, you know, rehab your properties. They'll be a trusted member of your team. Um, you know, and, and of course, there's other members like you want to have an accountant, you want to have an attorney, you want to have, you know, these different people who are going to support your business. Uh, but those are some of the key positions you want to look for. And, um, you know, initially you want to, it's it's difficult for people who are starting to invest to hire people, right? Because most people in their nine to five don't re are not in charge of building teams. And so uh, it's, it's a skill that you need to acquire. And even if you are in charge of building teams, at your nine to five, 
you're not investing your retirement money. You're not trying right. to build your own wealth. It's it it hits you at a whole. It hurts a lot more when it's your own money, right? When you're doing it for yourself. So it's a whole different level, and um, you're also working with a different type of vendor than you are at your nine to five. If if you build a team at your nine to five, so it's different. But you can learn it. It's it's. I think going in it knowing that this is going to be different and that you have to be willing to learn that alone help you get realistically prepared to flex that muscle. And I always say like, these are not, this is not um, something that you cannot learn. People aren't born with these skills. We can learn these skills. You can figure out how to find a good team, vet a good team and keep them, retain them, right? Retaining good team members is also an art form that yes. you can learn. Absolutely. So yeah. Sudha says, how to get uh, a hold of distressed properties as cash flow is hard in California. Again, uh, Sudha, invest, uh, consider investing on a state because, uh, you know, California is not the best place to invest. And so, you know, figure out what the right market, and there's so many markets all over the U.S. you can invest in. Uh, you know, figure out what the right market is for you. Um, and Shvetlana, I'm going to show her comment as well. Similar question. What are uh, good investments in Southern California? Let me just add something here in terms of living in places like California, Seattle, Boston, New York, all these expensive markets. Could you invest there? Sure. As a new investor, do you want to buy a property that is half a million dollars and put everything that you're going to do all your efforts toward that towards that one asset and learn from your mistakes towards that one asset i would rather that you as a new investor going to a market where properties are 100k 50k 150k somewhere around that price range and learn everything that you need to learn there because th there is a learning curve to it right and i'd rather that you do that in properties that are not going to take up everything that you have, right? All the effort that you have, you can't even sleep at night at that point, right? Because you, you're sitting on this big asset and you don't know how to do it properly yet. So consider if you're living in an expensive market, could you do it there? Sure. But don't start there because it's going to take up everything you've got and you know, investing. And it's, and it's not going to cash flow, and right? Like it's not going to cash flow. Yeah. So uh, again, it goes back to uh, uh, the only way you can see through market cycles uh, in a low risk way by buying assets is by buying cash flowing assets. If you buy assets that don't cash flow, that's a recipe for disaster because if the market if the market crashes at that point, then you're in trouble because you wouldn't be able to sell it, and you're not cash flowing it, burning a hole in your pocket. So uh, I would not, you know, re recommend that. Uh, I would, I would recommend, you know, buying properties in the right cities, even if it's out of state, as long as it's the, the numbers work and it cash flows. And you know, what states are good to invest in? There's so many, right? There's, there's so many good ones. Uh, yeah. You know, there's so many cities. Like uh, uh, if you're invested, there's place in Florida that you can invest in. There is, um, uh, you know, in Georgia and Pennsylvania, there's so many uh, places. In the Midwest is a great market to invest in. And by the way, <clears throat> and uh, Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to give a shout out. Cassie and Alan, they just got a property in Jackson, Jacksonville. Yeah. Um, they're, they're in our community. They were afraid of out-of-state investing. Yeah. And they just got their deal in Jacksonville, Florida. We've got a big group of people investing in Baltimore, Philadelphia, 
oh, multiple cities yeah. in Ohio. And, there are some great, great areas that yeah. you can invest. And a lot of people that join our community live in expensive states like California and New York. And that's a big part of yeah. what we focus on is investing out of state in what we teach because there's so many skills as an investor that you need to learn, right? Building your team. So there's three things that I always say <clears throat> you need to master uh, if you want to build a real estate portfolio. Um, no, I was, I was just going to say, uh, there's, there's three things that you want to really master as an investor, right? And that's those are the three things we focus on in our community. Number one, mastering deal analysis. You have to know how to analyze deals correctly yeah. because without that, it's going to be very hard to scale. So you want to know how to l analyze deals correctly. Number two, you want to learn commercial financing because conventional financing is not a way to scale. You bought a couple of properties in a personal name. That was not the right way to do it. You have to use commercial financing and always, always buy properties under an LLC, please. You know, that's the right way to do it. Um, so number two, com mastering commercial finance. And number three is building a team that's going to help you scale, especially if you're investing out of state. So those are three things that you want to focus on. And that's actually what we teach. So if you want to join our community, please do that. We have a lot of people that are doing exactly this. And it helps seeing other people doing the exact same thing, following the same method. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so, so you know, if you're an investor looking to scale, you you need the right strategy, you need the right tactics, but you need the right community. So um, that's all. How yeah. can people get in touch? Aviv, uh, could you uh, put a link to for them to connect with you? Aviv is um, the... Uh, he's, he's one of our senior advisors. He has the biggest heart. He uh, wants to help people, whether they are in our community or not. So uh, book a time with him. He'll drop his link in the chat, in the comments right there. And um, he's also in, if you are joining us from one of our, um, from the Facebook group, uh, you can, he's also in there. You can tag him if you want to, if you want him to drop his link again there. Um but the the big thing here, you guys, is don't let all of the different things that you hear on social media scare you from building wealth. No matter what strategy you choose, no matter what direction you go, take risks, build wealth, learn how to understand your numbers well so you can go forward and build that wealth and find your tribe. You need yes. a tribe. You need people to back you up. This, these are cycles that we're breaking, right? This is a, you wouldn't be here if you came from money. We didn't come from, none of us came from money. We're breaking generational cycles. You need a tribe because we don't have that family that's going to help you answer these questions. That's going to tell you it's going to be okay when things are not okay, right? You're breaking a big generational cycle. Find that tribe and go go out and give back to your community. Once you have that tribe, once you have people backing you up, now you're the role model. Go and give back and teach people in your community how to build wealth once you're done. So yeah, that's that's our um, that's our life for today. I have 15 minutes to make it to my doctor's appointment. It's only five minutes. I'm there. <laughs> Thanks so much for doing this today, you guys. Really appreciate it. I think it was super helpful and people are a lot. So thank you. Thank you, V, for for um, you know, asking all these questions and you you, you know, really have a pulse on what uh, questions folks have. So we I appreciate you reaching out and and uh, doing this and, and helping folks. So thank you so much.
Don't forget, when you're ready to get serious, you can join us at theinvestoraccelerator.com. It's like getting a thousand episodes worth of information in five days, and it's everything you need to build your actionable plan to financial freedom and making work optional.